0: Hello and welcome to The Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex As Parliament enters its 20-day holiday hiatus, people like me initially breathe a sigh of relief. Initially. As is the case for all addicts, however, relief soon turns to despair. By about the 27th of December... We can be found sitting at our desk, glassy-eyed, refreshing Politico's London playbook page in the hope something has happened, or trying to bait our racist aunt Catherine into a conversation about immigration, or in extreme cases, standing on street corners, pleading with strangers passing by. Come on, man, debate the Wellingborough by-election with me just five minutes. Christmas is, to quote Winnie the Pooh, a togethery sort of holiday, and therefore a politics-free zone. But why is that? The holidays are actually when most of us experience the effects of politics at their most extreme. Food inflation, the cost of presents, maybe the impermanence of our housing, rail delays, maybe queues to go abroad made worse by Brexit. Homeless charities, shelters, soup kitchens, and food banks are at their busiest the plight of refugees feels more urgent. Conflicts around the world weigh even more heavily than usual. So why is talking about any of it out of bounds? My guest today is a Baptist minister, senior lecturer in theology at the University of St. Andrews, and author of the report, The Politics of Christmas. Welcome to The Bunker, Reverend Dr. Steve Holmes. Thank you, Alex. Good to be with you. Steve, first things first, is there evidence that Christmas is a period when the volume of political debate is turned right down. You actually commissioned some polling at the time of the report. What did you find? Yes, we asked people what they thought Christmas was about. And,
1: you know, top of the list, Christmas is about spending time with family and friends, a time when we should be generous to people, less fortunate than ourselves. Then kind of in the middle of some religious ideas, Christmas is about celebrating that God loves humanity. you got 41% of similar numbers if very different idea Christmas is a good excuse for taking off but doesn't really have any meaning today Mm -hmm. Um, but then right at the bottom we get Christmas is a time when we should challenge political oppression around the world so certainly back in 2011 when we did this work the great British public didn't want to talk about or to engage in political activities at Christmas
0: Now, now I should make it clear that the report does not in any way argue against respite from fractious debate or against periods of reflection. Far from it, you actually say there should be more of them throughout the year uh, so that both we and our politicians don't experience burnout. But I think it does posit the view that Christmas is quite an odd period for such a pause. Why is that? Well, I, I guess it
1: depends what we think Christmas is. I, you know, I write as a theologian as a, and as a Christian minister, as you said. And so for me, Christmas is heavily focused around the narratives of the birth of Jesus and the celebration of what God has done there. And so for me, those narratives are inescapably political. And so it seems odd to me that... Um, we take this time as the one where we're just not allowed to think about such things. Hmm. On the other hand, if we think of Christmas as a a kind of secular midwinter festival, which we have made into a focus on kind of domesticity and the family, it's very easy to understand then that You want to gather the family, you want to shut the door, lock all that stuff out, uh, and just put your slippers on, pour a glass of port, and uh, and relax together. And uh, you really don't want to be faced with the realities of injustice and pain in the world and the, the sense of responsibility that we ought to be thinking about what we can do about that
0: the report also says that this hasn't always been the case. Christmas was actually the time for radical politics before the Victorians sort of put a big red bow around it. Can you you explain that a little? Yeah, I mean, the time might be strong, but the long
1: tradition of Christmas is Saturnalian. And in fact, the Roman Saturnalian festival was the same time. This is kind of the misrule idea where social roles are reversed. Yes. So English kings would appoint one of the servants to be king for a day on the 27th of December or something. There's a long tradition in again around England of boy bishops taking over. One of the choir boys would be made bishop. And this sort of sense of inversion carried on probably from the Roman Saturnalia into medieval Christmases. You could see it as a sort of anarchic spirit of mm. subverting the social order. You could see it as a, a kind of carefully controlled valve to let a bit of steam off to make sure that mm. the, the social order is preserved. But one way or another, you're reflecting on getting interested in the ways in which social hierarchies work around this time of year.
0: Yes. And actually, there is a sort of, or at least there was a sort of flattening of those hierarchies as well, because, you know, whether you're a king or a peasant going to church is going to church. And, you know, the the gathering with the family to have a meal is what everyone does, regardless of social status. And so it it does become a a rather more shared experience, a, a more universal experience, doesn't it?
1: Yes, I, I guess so. I mean, the meal you're sharing might be quite different depending where you are in, in these social hierarchies. And, and I suspect that um, your average peasant's experience of church might have been different to what uh, the, what yes. happens um, on the, the Royal Estates. Um, I used to worship in a parish church in Deal in Kent, where my, my mother lives near. Mm. And uh, they had a special gallery that was built for the local fishermen um, so that they didn't smell offensive to the rest of the year. And the hierarchies are there if you look for them. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. Um,
0: Now, now the the sort of exception to this rule, uh, the Victorian exception to this rule, is charity. I mean, arguably, charity is actually a very political act. Uh, Gary Lineker, for instance, has been criticized effectively for his involvement with Refugee charities. Um, So as our politics becomes even more polarized, are we likely to see even that consensus fracture, the charitable activities encouraged during the holidays, because charities begin to be seen as liberal or woke or representing a particular point of view?
1: Yeah, it, it seems a real danger to me. I mean, I quote a, a famous um, line from a, a Latin American Archbishop, Oscar Romero, in the report, who uh, said, uh, when I give money to the poor, they call me a saint. When they ask why the poor have no money, they call me a communist. <laughs> but, you know, in there is a very definite problem that we face, that it's very, very hard to separate the idea of charity, of altruism, from some sort of political judgment about how the world is and how it should be. The the Victorians did it by making it really quite uh, local and occasional. So the very first Christmas card had three pictures On it. The the, the main panel was the family gathered around a feast. uh, And then to each side, you had members of the family kind of at the back door of the house giving food on one side and clothes on the other to beggars, I suppose. Mm. Uh, And that sense that, yes, we don't need to go out looking for people to help, we don't need to be asking why there are people who don't have food and clothes. But it's part of our generosity and liberality and uh, the goodwill that that is is what we think of at Christmas, that we, we, we give some things away, uh, cynically one might say to make us feel good. Um, but whereas uh, asking the questions why we've got the things and others haven't doesn't make us feel good. So we don't do that.
0: Now, it's become a rather easy win for liberals like me to point out the hypocrisy of people who claim to be religious and at the same time espouse views which seem not particularly charitable. For instance, that to point out that Mary and Joseph were actually refugees, homeless refugees. Um, but you point out that there are many... Other political threads woven through the story of Jesus' birth, what are some examples Yes, so there are two
1: ways to look at this. So we've got two stories of the birth of Jesus in the Bible, in in Mm. Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. They they are actually fairly different. Uh, The story we all know and that the kids perform and so on is, uh, is a bit of an amalgam of the two with one or two other bits that seem to have crept their way in over the years. But on the one hand, we can simply read the story as a narrative of people living in a particular time and place. And we see just how inescapably political all the themes are. As you say, there's homelessness. You know, Mary is probably 14 or 15 at the time, given what we know of um, Jewish marriage customs. So we've got a teenage mother. We've got the flight into Egypt. The travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem is accounted for because the Roman emperor wants to sort his tax records out in the story. And so, so we've got lots of themes like like that. But if we read the stories as literary constructions, which you know, is not a reflection on truth or falsity, just a, a reflection on authorial intent, then we do see that there's a some really pointed stuff going on. But you have to read with a bit of knowledge to see some of it. So, for instance, if I say, you know, the the angels come saying, peace on earth to you is born a saviour, Christ the Lord. And to you and I, that sounds an entirely religious statement, but it isn't. The word savior is really not a common one in religious contexts. Yeah. Uh, it's used twice of Jesus in the Bible. That's one; the other one somewhere else. Where it was commonly used at the time was to talk about the achievement of the Roman emperor in bringing the Pax Romana, peace, the Roman peace, to the world. And so, this collision of this odd word savior and this this account of peace is. You know, a a straightforward um, political claim saying um, the emperor says he has saved us and brought peace. Now, we're in occupied Palestine, you know, not. That many years ago, the emperor brought peace by destroying one of the local towns. There were 2,000 mm. people crucified, rotting bodies, hanging on crosses alongside every road. Um, you know, this is imperial peace, but now we're going to talk about a different peace, mm. the peace that God will bring, and we're going to talk about it by stealing the emperor's titles and subverting them. That's,
0: that's politics. Yeah. I mean, even the concept of a saviour carries with it the implication that there are people who need to be saved yes. Um, yes. from something. And so, you know, it's implicit in that. Um, and and I rather love the, I will quote you here, when you talk about the amalgamation of the stories, you, you describe them as told and retold every Christmas time through lisping recitals of half-remembered lines, by tea-towel-clad children, which I thought was rather delicious. You, you, you might need to edit this out, but um, I
1: did hear uh, someone reading out uh, the bit of the story that goes, uh, he will be a light to lighten the Gentiles, and uh, the poor kid stumbled a bit, and we were told that Jesus would be a light to lighten our genitals. Um,
0: but, <laughs> <laughs> I assure you, this is not the sort of podcast that will need to edit that out. Um, <laughs> Can I ask you something a little bit more opinion-based, I guess? Yeah. Is part of the problem that maybe we are losing the art of arguing about things robustly but politely without taking disagreement personally? Is that why we avoid politics around Christmas? Because it's seen as a, as a thing that creates a bit of a bad atmosphere, when really it shouldn't. I think locating the beginnings of
1: this in the Victorian era helps us to understand that a bit. So what you've got is the Industrial Revolution happening, mass migration of a traditionally rural population to these Mm. cities that are growing massively, Uh, suddenly... There is a separation between home and work. If you're a farmer or a blacksmith or lord of the manor, basically your office is your home and vice versa. Um, But suddenly you're you're a factory worker. So you live in one place and you walk down the street to work in the other. Uh, And there's all this social upheaval and lots and lots of questions about it. And it seems to me that the invention of the domestic Christmas is a way of... Hiding from that, almost um, hiding might be unfair, but 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 something like that—a mm, way mm, of mm. Uh, a way of trying to say, let's gather the family around, let's shut the world and all those pressing questions out, and let's just for a bit relax. And uh, yeah, as you said at the start, you know, I'm all in favour of just for a bit relaxing if it's often, but uh, uh, but I think that's what Christmas became. Now people say we're losing the ability to argue. You know, maybe we are. Or maybe we were never very good at it. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I I reflect that um, if I walk to the nearest wood from my house, I will find two monuments from the late 17th century recording seven different people who were killed in religious arguments. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of religious arguments in my life, but so far remained unkilled. So, you know, maybe we're better at some of these things than once we were. I just wonder
0: whether this sort of, mutually tacitly agreed hiatus is also testament to the fact that we don't spend enough meaningful time or have enough meaningful conversations with our extended family certainly and sometimes with our immediate family as well. What I mean is talking politics becomes filled with peril because actually we know very little about our extended family's politics, so we never know whether we're walking into something that is terribly content. We suspect that Aunt Catherine is a raging xenophobe, but actually would rather not confirm it. (laughs) And in that way, I wonder whether it points to something actually different that is a little bit dysfunctional, that we should, if we don't want to talk about this stuff at Christmas, maybe we should spend some time talking about it, you know, other times of the year but we don't tend to discuss this stuff with our families at all now no. at least that's how it seems to me no i think i think that's right i mean
1: when we talk extended family of course that there is a question about how how easy or difficult it is to see your extended family on anything other than very special occasions you know my family uh, i mean most of us are still in the UK, but as I say, my, my mother is on the, the south coast of England. I'm mm. um, northeast Scotland. Um, it's a long way. And, uh, you know, one of my brothers is in Singapore. That's an even longer way. And uh, mm. uh, getting together um, every couple of weeks to chat about things would be would be lovely, but mm. uh, not not really very feasible. Although I suppose we could have
0: learned in the pandemic to do it by Zoom. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um- The only perennial political discussion we seem to be allowed during Christmas is how heathens, liberals, lefties, politically correct bureaucrats, or recently the woke, I mean, delete as appropriate, have cancelled Christmas. Many people dismiss this, but as a minister, is there any truth to it? Has an increasingly secular society actually altered christmas beyond all recognition is that a natural evolution that that is okay or or is it something that we need to try and reverse in some ways
1: i think it's actually quite a complicated question so you mentioned at the start, my my tradition is Baptist, which is mm. a, a, an English dissenting tradition. And in fact, yesterday I was doing some academic work on the 17th century, and I think everybody I was reading spent time in prison for their beliefs in the 17th century. You, you were supposed to be Anglican. If you weren't, um, they fined you uh, for not going to the Anglican church, and they imprisoned you if you tried to run an alternative church. So... I don't feel cancelled compared to some of my forebears. I teach in a university that once would not have allowed me in because I'm not a Presbyterian, um, and and so on and so on. I think there's a lot of freedom. And again, you know, part of what I was trying to do with the report, the, the particular focus was politics for this report, but it's something that that I try to do in different ways is get a bit behind a kind of cultural assimilation of half-forgotten Christian themes to say, actually, there's something real and radical and challenging and disturbing back here, and we ought to recover it. Mm. The the Christmas that gets cancelled is a probably imaginary kind of fusion of a certain sort of Middle English culture with a kind of religion that offers comfort and confirmation without challenge. Now, I'm all for cancelling that, to be honest, <laughs> I, 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 and, and, and you know, I, I I'm very very happy for people to say, you know, I'm not Christian. I don't want to celebrate a Christian holiday. We're going to have a holiday at this time of year. I will say happy holidays. You know, I will do away with with Christian yeah. symbolism. Um, generally, my complaint with such comments is that they just. The, 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 the people just don't do it well enough um, that the, the, they're unaware of how much of their symbolism is in fact Christian but I'm very very happy for someone to say that uh, I want the right to say well this is what I'm celebrating um, yeah. and the right to celebrate it without someone chucking me in prison uh, and mm. at the moment I seem to enjoy those rights quite cheerfully um, <laughs> yeah
0: Reverend Dr. Steve Holmes, thank you for a a very uh, enlightening conversation, pun intended. Thank you. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Alex. Remember, if you get value from our work, you should support our work. And you can do so from as little as three pounds a month on the funding platform Patreon. Just search for Bunker Podcast Patreon. I leave you with the words of Charles Dickens. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins, as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. This is Alexandro in the bunker saying, God bless us, everyone. the bunker was written and presented by alex andre the producer was eliza davis beard with audio production by me simon williams the managing editor is jacob jarvis the group editor is Andrew harrison with music by kenny dickinson and artwork by james Parrott. the bunker is a podmasters production